0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Well, in 1914, not long after the sinking of the Titanic, Congress convened a hearing to discern what had happened uh, in another nautical tragedy. So in January that year, in thick fog off the Virginia coast, the steamship Monroe was rammed by the merchant vessel Nantucket, and it eventually sank. So 41 sailors that day lost their lives in the frigid winter waters of the Atlantic. So while it was the captain of the Nantucket who was arraigned on charges, in the course of the trial it was learned that the captain of the Monroe uh, had navigated the Monroe with a steering compass that had deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. He said the instrument was sufficiently true to run the ship And that it was the custom of masters in the coastwise trade to use such compasses. His steering compass had never been adjusted to the one, uh, or in the one year that he was master of the Monroe. The faulty compass that seemed adequate for navigation eventually proved otherwise. The reminder for us is this, writes this author, if the heart is like a compass, Then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts, tuning them to be directed to the creator, our magnetic north. It is crucial for us to recognize that our ultimate loves and longings and desires and cravings are learned. So here's a question for you. Right at the beginning, it's good to be with you and see all of you. Here's the question. How do you calibrate your moral compass? How do you decide? How do you figure out? How do you know what is right and what is wrong? What what you are supposed to do or supposed to be or how you're supposed to live or who God really is or not? How do you actually know? How do you determine true north? Or maybe this question, how would you know or would you know if you were two degrees off? Even mostly going in the right way, would you know, would you sense, would you be able to discern, hey, I think I'm starting to veer. I think I am in need of a recalibration. Would you actually feel it or see the evidence of it in your life? Here's what's true uh, about how we discern or figure that out or build our lives on that. Uh, If we are even a little bit off, it sets us up for collisions, for collisions, so collisions just like we see in these two ships as one collides with another because its compass was off by 2 degrees we can have collisions in our lives so those could be fender bender type of collisions could be little things brush by etc or they could actually be large cataclysmic catastrophic fatal collisions how many of us know, right, it doesn't take much, whether we watch online or whether we uh, watch the news, CNN or NBC or CBS or Fox, it doesn't matter what you watch, what news outlet, where you work, what you've seen. If you look at our history, how many of us have seen the extensive wake of damage that can be done by a leader who loses that moral compass, that loses the ability to discern and understand this is right and this is wrong? Entire families have been blown up, marriages have been blown up, governments have been blown up, countries have been blown up, large organizations, churches, you name it. When we get this wrong, the damage can be never ending. So would you know? Would you feel it? Would you be able to discern, even if you are off by a couple of degrees. As we talk today, we're in this series called Soul Work. So this summer, uh, all summer long, we're working through discipline after discipline after discipline that God actually preserved for us. He gave it to us uh, in scripture that these are different things that you can do to build your life, build the foundation of a relationship with him all throughout. So we've already talked about prayer and we've talked about meditation and we talked about fasting. But today we are actually talking about study. So how do we study God's word, how do we see the discipline of study? How do we engage in it to articulate or calibrate our hearts into this is what is right? This is what God says. This is how he's laid it out as the foundation for all that we do or the calibration for a true north as defined by him. How do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have a Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is where we're going to be at. So if you have one in the room, if you're listening online, we've got words on the screen. But go ahead, open it up. Chapter 3, it says this, all scripture, everybody say all scripture, is God breathed. Well, not that part. I can read that part. (laughs) I was pausing to take my breath. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. All scripture. The scripture That Paul is talking about as he's writing this to his protege Timothy, as he's building him up, as he's teaching him, this is what it means to be a man of God. This is what it means to lead a group of people towards the heart of God. It starts with this. It starts with all scripture, all scripture. This book, this scripture, to some it might seem overwhelming, to others it might be super comprehensive. Whatever it is to you, however it is that you perceive it, here's what Paul writes to Timothy. It's in the book so that we would reiterate and come back to it today. It is all scripture is God breathed. It's been preserved for us for thousands upon thousands of years to tell us a story, to describe the character of God. It's to point us, to, to show us the qualities and the attributes that he has, to, to invite us into the narrative very, from the very beginning when he says, these are my people. I will be your God. I love you. I will care for you. I will provide for you. I see you in your brokenness and in your pain. I see you in your guilt and your shame. I see you in your sin. I saw you and I was so moved by my love for you that I went after you even when you didn't come after me. This is the overarching story, overarching narrative of God. It all centers and revolves around the person of Jesus. God saw us in our state and said, they can't fix it, but I can. And so as I go after them, as I pursue a relationship with them, as I point them to my son, they will need this book to understand the role that we play in God's overarching narrative, to understand the role that Jesus plays in the overarching narrative that it all centers and all revolves and all circles around him. So that leads me to this question. And it goes like this, what guides your life? Maybe you grew up in church, right? You know, what's the church answer? Jesus, right? That may be true, and that's great if that's true. Maybe scripture for you, but here's the thing a lot of us actually bring a whole lot more to this conversation, and, and maybe we lean different directions or emphasize different things in our lives. So, if I say what guides your life, some of you might say knowledge. Some of you may be in higher education, you say knowledge, the, the idea of understanding, of getting deep, understanding concepts and theories, and understanding what I can prove and what I can see and what we can discover. Maybe you say knowledge is what guides my life, others say experience. Right? A lot of parents draw on that one, right? Been there, done that. Let me save you a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of debt, and a whole lot of just you know what. Let me save all of that for you and help you because I'm drawing on my experience. My experience has led me to believe this is true. Maybe it's the legal system. For some of you, you say the legal system is kind of my, my point zero. It's my true north. That's what helps me decide. Maybe it's philosophy or philosophers, science or religion. Maybe it's your parents or your ethics. Maybe it's personal conclusions that you have drawn. Here's a question that just comes after a, a, a variety of questions. The question is this, what happens when those things change? What happens when those things change? A new discovery is made or a new law is passed or a new decision is overturned. What happens when those things that we've built our lives on that say this guides my life and when it changes, like a social fad or a meme or a person, or, when those things change, what happens to your life? What happens to it? Right, we had a crisis we wonder, man, was my compass calibrated correctly? Was it right? Was it wrong? If you were a Jew in the time of Jesus, especially young boys that grew up, if you asked them, what guides your life? You know what their answer would be? They would say the Talmud. The Talmud. Talmud in Hebrew literally means like the text or the scripture. So they would say scripture, scripture, Guides me so much so that the Hebrew language shifts and changes around this word, the Talmud. So Talmud versus Talmud, the Talmud is scripture. Talmud is the one who builds his life on it. It means disciple. So if you look at Hebrew, the original Hebrew language says Talmud or Talmudim is the one whose life is built on scripture. The disciple that you will know is the one that builds his life on the book. Talmud versus Talmud. it's why Jesus says this. Luke chapter 11, verse 28, he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and, say it with me, obey it. it. Notice it doesn't say blessed are the ones who just understand. Blessed are the ones who just know. Blessed are those that, that understand this is the word of God, it's breathed by him. This is his word, blessed is the one who doesn't just know that, who doesn't just know this book, but the one who lives this book. Jesus says, blessed is that one. If I'm gonna give you a cheat sheet, if I'm gonna tell you kind of where we're going or the overarching premise of today's message, uh, it would be this statement. The study of scripture is not just meant to inform our minds, but also our actions. It's meant to lead us to a place of transformation. That knowledge of God's word is so significant, so substantial. This book is not like any other book. It could do so much for you that that you can't even understand. Yet the layer upon layer upon layer that God invites us in to experience, it's because it's his. It's why it's different than every other book. It's because it's his. Because he wrote it and he preserved it. And he wants to meet you right where you're at, wherever that may be. You can say, "I'm a follower of Jesus," or "I'm not a follower of Jesus." Maybe you're still asking questions. Maybe maybe you haven't asked questions for thirty years, and now you're starting to. This book will meet you right where you're at. God says, even describes it later. This book is living and active, so I can do something inside of you. Brian said this a couple of weeks ago. When we read this book correctly, we don't read it; it reads us. This book is powerful, it's beautiful, it's important, it's necessary, and it is the calibration that we need deep down in our hearts, in our souls, in our relationship with God. This is the gift that he has preserved for us for thousands of years. So we're we're gonna go back to this text, 2 Timothy chapter three, verse 16. We're just gonna go through it word, word, by word, because there's so much richness in the text that we could miss. So if we go through this here, let's pull it back up. Second Timothy three, verse 16, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching. I'm going to break this up into kind of three chunks and they all have a couple pieces. The first part is this all scripture. Everybody say all scripture one more time. All scripture. So is it part of this book? is is it the section that we like is it the section that speaks to us is it the section that makes sense to us no no what no. what paul is writing to timothy is he's raising him up and he's teaching him how to lead and how to pastor and how to build his life he's saying here's where it starts all scripture We don't have the luxury of coming in and saying, I like this and I don't like this. I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna throw this away. I'm gonna pick and choose what I like, what I feel. I'm gonna use this book to further what I already believe is true. That's not what Paul is saying, but it's how a lot of us function. A lot of us come into this book with preconceived notions or ideas or opinions, and then we open up this book and we look chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we look for something that agrees with us. You know how dangerous that is. In seminary, they teach us two words. Uh, I had to take a class. Um, I had to study in a class that's about studying the Bible. It's like they teach us how to study, and so I study on how to study, right? It's a little bit inception. You're like, how many layers is this? So in this class, they teach us two words, exegesis and eisegesis. It's probably the main thing that I gleaned from this class all semester long. Eisegesis is what I just described to you. Eisegesis means I have things, I have ideas, I have thoughts, I have conclusions. So when I show up to scripture, I'm looking for things to support it. It's actually not how we study the Bible. It's not how it's meant to be studied. Exegesis is the opposite. Exegesis is when you show up with a blank piece of paper and you say, okay, what's going on in the text What's going on in this moment when it's being written? Who is the author? Who are they writing to? What's going on in the world? What's the economy like? What's the political atmosphere like? What's the society like? What's the culture like? What's the family unit like? There's so much digging and so much learning to be had when we come in with an exegetical mindset of I just wanna wanna learn, I wanna understand. When we approach all scripture like that, then it becomes, okay, now that I understand what the author originally intended, how does that apply to me today? And then we, we don't just become knowers of the word, but doers of the word. When we figure out what are they trying to communicate? How does this fit into the overarching story of God? Then we understand our role in it. So all scripture, and then it's this one, is God breathed. These are God's words. As he talks, as we read These words, it's as if the breath of God, we can still feel it coming off of his lips. This is his word. He gave it to us. I love the way this author says it. He says, this means something more than saying that God inspired the men or women who wrote it, though we believe that he did. God also inspired the very words they wrote. The words they wrote were breathed by God. The very words, you think about the intentionality here, the weight that this book carries. It's not just inspired through people, but it's inspired by God for his people. It's why the words are so important. There's no book like it. So all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching. Teaching what? Teaching what? It's supposed to help us understand who is God? Who are we? What, what is our relationship like? What, what was the history of the relationship like between God and his people? What, it's about teaching us about the person of Jesus, about his heart for people about his ministry, about the invitation that he gives us even today as his church, the role that he has invited us to play. There is so much learning to be had. And yes, so many of us, when we read this, if we read this, sometimes even begrudgingly, we show up and we forget that God is trying to instruct us as his people. He's trying to give us a gift over and over and over like a loving father, trying to teach his children, this is about life. This is about marriage. This is about your neighbors. This is about loving people. This is about your purpose. And by the way, this is about me. I want you to learn me, understand me, because it will shape not just what you know, but what you become or who you become as his child. Jesus said this like to his disciples, right? Scripture is to be the bearings, thinking back to the the ship metaphor at the beginning. Scripture is designed to be our calibration, to know when are we moving due north, straight to our relationship with our heavenly father, and when are we off course, even if just by a couple of degrees, what we know and what we've seen over and over and over is when we get this wrong, a collision is bound to happen, but then it moves on to this next part. I don't love this part. It says rebuking and correcting. Does anybody here listening or sitting like to be rebuked or corrected? No, right? Nobody's a glutton for punishment. It's like why? Why being rebuked? Right? That comes with pain. That comes with shame or embarrassment. I don't like it. But I, I was thinking about this even in preparation today. So Brian and I uh, are in this transition period, and so he's coaching me. And my goodness, you just need to know, he's he's an incredible coach. But we had this situation uh, a couple weeks ago with our team. So I'm leading a meeting. It's our all-staff team. And we are a high-feedback culture. So we we get feedback on everything. We look for it. We seek it out. We take it in. And so for the sake of expediency and efficiency, we were slammed a couple months ago. I decided, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give our team a gift. And I'm going to say, instead of doing feedback in the room, I'm just going to do it electronic. I'm just going to send an all staff email and say, hey, all, let's evaluate this event that honestly, it didn't go, it went well, but like there were a lot of parts that definitely could have gone better. So for the sake of expediency and efficiency, I send it out to our team and I say, just go ahead and reply all uh, and go ahead and give each other feedback on this event. How many of you want to be a staff person getting an email like that? Right? Not awesome. Not awesome. I talked to some of our staff after. Yep, not awesome, David. Not awesome. (laughs) So here's what's funny. Brian eventually sees the email. So in a private one-on-one email, I get an email from him, and I go, "Uh uh-oh. I open it up, and I start reading, and here is the rebuke. David, I saw this email that went out to our staff, and this is not good. (laughs) Does that feel like a rebuke to you? I'm like, oh, I don't want to read another word. I already... I'm bracing, I'm prepping it. He goes, this is not good. What this does is it's a violation of our culture. That even though getting in the room and even though talking with people and talking to their faces, the value is feedback so that we can grow, but it's feedback built on the foundation of love and on relationship. And so the decision that I had chosen to do actually robbed our team of the love and the relationship. It just defaulted to information. And so he pushed back and and then he gave me this gift, right? Just like any good leader or mentor or parent, he says, David, but it's your decision. So I'm gonna tell you how this is gonna play out. I'm like, oh boy, this is, I love the correction piece. So he goes, here's two options. You can choose and I'll follow you whichever way you want to go. He goes, option A, is you come before your team and you defend your actions and you say, I meant to do this and this is on purpose and so I wanted to do feedback, I wanted to give you a gift and so you can do that and then he articulated and here's the words that I'm going to say to your team in front of you and I read through those words and I went, I'm not a big fan of option A. <laughs> I don't like that option. Option B, he said this, you can own it. You can own it to your team and say, this is a learning for me. I'm learning, I'm growing, I made a mistake, and I'm sorry. And I went, hmm, option B, that seems like, mm, humble or be humbled. I'm going to go with humble, I'll I'll humble myself. I went in, and honestly, I went in going, you know, I I could see both ways, right, half and half. It wasn't until I, I apologized to our entire team and I said, I'm really sorry for doing this to you, that I actually saw the pain in all of their eyes. And all of a sudden, I went, I get it. The correcting and the rebuking is not meant to hurt, it's not meant to punish, it's not meant to drive. Brian gave me such a good gift in the rebuke, in the correction. Just like a good parent, just like a good boss, just like a good coach or teacher, I'm going to correct you because maybe what you can't see leads to damage. What you can't see leads to brokenness. What you can't see leads to pain. But if I can correct you and if I can rebuke you and bring you back, even if you're off just a little bit, just two degrees, if I can bring you back, it will lead you to a place of life. I tell you what, I became a better leader and a better pastor in those moments, albeit hard and difficult and embarrassing. But standing up, I'm so grateful for a leader that corrects and rebukes. It's the exact same thing with Scripture. Sometimes when you're reading through this, if you're reading a passage, if you're reading something, the Holy Spirit will work and he'll stir something in you that maybe prompts anger or prompts guilt or prompts shame or frustration. And here's what I want to tell you. It's okay. It's part of the process. When we can humble ourselves and say, okay, I I am not above this book. In fact, I submit to this book. I can submit to it because I've learned that my heavenly father loves me, cares about me, wants life for me. When I submit under this book, I'm actually able to learn and to glean what God actually is trying to do in my life, not to harm me, not to hurt me, or punish me, or shame me. What I can actually learn is he's trying to lead me to a place of life, maybe even in a way I can't see or understand yet. This rebuking and correcting is a gift. So we need to lean into it together. Then this last piece here talks about training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has invited us as a part of his church to reach the world. He, he built his church The reason we do this today, the reason we gather, the reason we read his word and we learn and we submit ourselves underneath it is so that we might be the embodiment of Jesus to our community, to our world, to our families, our spouses, our children, our schools, our context. The reason we do this is because we are representatives of him, but Jesus looks at us and loves us and says, but you still lack. You still need help. There's still learning to be had. So when you submit under me, there will be an equipping that comes from my word. And it's for righteousness. You know who's, who's righteous? Jesus. It's this invitation to become more and more and more like him so that we might be equipped for every good work that he invites us to be a part of. Fast forward here. So Paul, what he's getting at here with Timothy is this is what it looks like to be a follower of me. Not to come into scripture and say, this is what I think and I'm gonna use this as a weapon. What he says is this is what it looks like to love my people. As you submit yourself to my word, you model it in your life, you model it in the ways that nobody else sees, that you come in with a humble heart, that you submit even the most difficult things to let go of. You come in and you model it and you let that go so that I can actually do a work in you that you can't do or you can't accomplish on your own. Craig Rochelle, is a lead pastor of one of the largest churches in North America He has this quote, I just, I love it. I wanted to share with you, it's not on the screen, but it says this, it's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. You ever look at other people, especially people of faith and you go, man, I'd love to pray like they pray man, I wish I had faith like they have faith. Man, I wish I was a leader like they could lead, lead people as they unpack the word of God. Man, I, I see other people, I see maybe heroes of the faith or I see leaders of the faith or leaders that I follow or submit to and I go, man, I, just, I would love to have what they have. Oftentimes what we desire, the big things that we see come from this secret place. We talked about this in prayer, we talked about it with fasting, talked about it with meditation. It is the exact same thing with study. Those people have a regular rhythm of, of abiding, of sitting, of absorbing, and of learning, of resting in the word of God regularly. So just to reiterate, the study of scripture is not just meant to inform our minds, but also our actions. Jesus is inviting us to be cultivated to be modeled after his own image for the sake of our world. Matthew 5, 17 says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus is saying this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He didn't show up and say, hey, now that you have me, you could toss this aside. You don't need this anymore. Now you have me. He says, no, no, no. I didn't come to abolish this. I came to fulfill it. Every piece, every uh, foretelling, every prophecy, I fulfilled for a reason. It was for you. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Here's what that should do for you. That should give you a confidence in this book. That everything in there is meant for you to cultivate inside of you a hunger and a desire to grow, to look, to model your life after the person of Jesus. Everything in here, every stroke of a pen, every punctuation, every and and but, and therefore is meant as a gift to us as God's people to grow in our relationship with him because we are a representation of him to our world. That's why he's given us such an amazing book. This isn't about us. It's not about doing more or being better. It's about pointing us to the person of Jesus and allowing him to do the work in our hearts through his word. So not too long ago, this was like last week, uh, we went on vacation as a family. We were with Shannon's family. We went up to Silver Lake, uh, like the sand dunes and whatnot. And Shannon's family always brings lots of toys, right? Like the fun toys, like motorized toys. So uh, Judah and I picked this one. This was the red quad that he and I went on and we probably put on it. I, I think I reset the odometer at one point. I, I think we put over a hundred miles on this thing. Just me and Judah, this was our thing. We would sneak away, whether it was first thing in the morning or later in the afternoon or evening, we, we would hit the dirt roads We would just putts. You know what I mean? 10 miles an hour, just kind of cruising through. And here's what I had fun doing. I didn't even realize the significance of it until later, even prepping for this message. A couple other people went, that's significant, dig there. Uh, Jude and I, we would go out for a ride and he's three and a half. And so all I'm trying to do is teach him like left and right right? Which is a feat, okay? It's hard. It's harder than I, I thought it would be. So we're, we're driving, and so we're exploring the trails. We're out in the cornfields. We're, we're all over the place having fun, but we would come up to an intersection. We would stop at the stop sign, and I would say, okay, Judah, which way is left and which way is right? And he started to learn. He started to understand. He got it wrong probably 95% of the time, I'd whisper to him like 10 seconds before, we're going to turn left. That's that way. Okay, dad. And we're pulling up. We would come to a stop. I'd say, okay, which way is left? And he'd point the wrong direction. He's like, okay, still working on it. Which way do you want to go? I want to go straight, dad, right? I mean, so many things. He was having fun. We were learning. We were trying to figure it out. So as the week went on, he was getting better, but like couldn't quite grasp it. So maybe frustrated, right? Maybe like as a dad too, I kept whispering, kept trying, kept giving him the option. I let him hold the handlebars. Uh, I'm still a young parent, so I learned not to let him control the throttle. I learned that one once. Oh boy, okay, Judah, no more throttle for you, right? Dad gets the brakes, you get the handlebars. So he would get the handlebars and as he would try, as he would learn, as he would steer, uh, it was fun watching him grow and develop, not even so much in the knowledge of left and right, but in the understanding and in the trust that he had in his dad, where he could listen to the whisper of his dad and learn to trust it. That when the time would show up, it's like, okay, Judah, we need to go back. It's time to eat dinner. We have to do this. He, He would go, okay, dad. And then we would go left or we would go right, or we would stop. When I could look ahead and I could see things that were coming that he couldn't see, he wasn't even aware of, and I went, that's dangerous for you. We're gonna turn right here and we're gonna stop. As he learned, I think the learning that week wasn't about left and right, it was about trusting the voice of his daddy. Scripture functions very similar. It's about learning to trust the voice of your dad who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to see you grow, who wants to see you thrive, wants to see you become who he's made you to be. So as I reflected, even this week, there's a lot that happened this week. And I wrote this because I wanted to get this right. I said, as I think about the Supreme Court decision that was made this week, I am celebrating a significant step towards preserving the sanctity of life. But, and there's a but, but I am also reminded that the Supreme Court does not set our moral compass, nor does a political party, nor does a Congress, nor does a president, nor does a news network, nor does an organization or anybody else but the person of Jesus through his word. It's my prayer, it's my burden for this place, for frontline. Sometimes these things can feel far off. Here's my burden for this place is that in Grand Rapids, we will take ownership and we will say, it's not even about the legal battle, it's about the spiritual battle that we as a church want to strive to make abortion unnecessary, to be a place where people can come, to to be a church that raises their hand and says, "I, I understand that you might be afraid of carrying this pregnancy through to completion, but we will walk with you, that we will be present with you, that we will help provide for you, and we won't quit as soon as your baby's born. We're gonna walk with you from that point on. It's my hope that we as a people would fight the spiritual battle on our knees. That we would pray for the moms in our community that are struggling, trying to figure out, should I do this or should I not do this? Some of them do it. Some of them go through an abortion because they feel it's the only option that they have. My prayer is that we would be a people of prayer that intercede on their behalf. That God would literally bring them into our lives, bring them into our doors, bring them into our staff's lives or whatever, that we might be able to say, hey, I have a relationship with this person named Jesus. He's changed my life. And part of the calling is to be a representation of him to you. That we would be a church that walks with, prays for, provides. You know, we have a ministry here right now. It's called Cradles of Grace. It launched about a year ago and it has exploded. And it does just that. It provides a place where moms who are struggling, who feel like they don't have an option or they don't have another avenue to come and to be loved, to be heard, to be provided for, to be cared for, to be celebrated, to, to, to be walked with, with a group of people who loves them. That's my prayer for us. It's my prayer for you so as you think about this decision you know that was made scripture's position hasn't changed what we're called is to embody the person of jesus to our world and to our community so let this be a place where all can come i I want you to hear this just real specifically i know i'm over time but if you've had an abortion we're so glad you're here and what our hope is and our prayer for, for you is that you will experience the love and the grace and the mercy that all of us have experienced from Jesus for a variety of other things. Now, this is a place where we can grow together. This is a place where we can love one another together. This is a place that as we're on mission together to, to drastically change our lives to orient it around the person of Jesus, it's our prayer that you would experience that as well. So we're all glad you're here. As we close today, I just wanna land on this application piece of what what do I do with God's word? Whether I've done it a thousand times or whether I've never done it, it starts with this. Here's number one, commit to a plan. Something that gets you in the word every day. Could be the year long plan, could be just a book, could be just one passage over and over. Commit to a plan, pick one. Do it every single day. Number two would be learn something new. Dive in, dive deep. Study it, dig, look it up online until you discover something new. And then number three is apply it to your life. If you wanna see the fruit, you need to do it. You need to live out of it as we continue to become more and more like the person of Jesus through his word. Let's pray together. God, we just come before you and we thank you. We thank you for the person of Jesus who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for your word that you have preserved for us for thousands of years. We thank you that you love us so much that you didn't want to just leave us in our shame or our guilt or our filth, but that you came with mercy and love and forgiveness and grace, peace. Father, I pray right now just for our group, for this church, whether they're online, whether they're listening later, whether they're here in the room, I pray, God, that you would do a work in us that, it, that creates that creates a church that looks like you. Jesus, people nothing like you loved you. It's our prayer, God, that you would do that in us and through us. We love you. We're grateful for you. We just pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful and forgiving and grace-filled name and all God's people said, We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.